0: Welcome back to the Kiwi Innovators podcast. Well, as I look around the world, the times, they are changing. Since I did this interview with Rajesh about three, almost four weeks back, and I apologize about my hiatus, several things have happened. I've had a beautiful baby son born, spent a week in NICU. The COVID-19 virus was declared a pandemic, New Zealand went from alert level one to alert level two to alert level four and the country is now in quarantine and lockdown. Now from where I'm sitting that might seem like um, an optimum time to record podcasts and video blogs and to get caught up on stuff but what's happened is is that I've gotten wrapped up not only in taking care of my beautiful son and my beautiful wife but also in helping out with various things to do with COVID-19, to do with government agencies. So I've been doing quite a bit of work, which has been eating through my time and not getting much sleep in the evening. This interview with Rajesh is is as poignant and as good as it was when we first did it. It may actually be more so. A lot of the things we talk about, dev, secops and agile are even more important in uh, times of adversity like this. When you're we're trying to do things new and trying to get people taken care of in in ways and in scales that we've never done before. So without any further ado, I give you the interview with Rajesh Jaluka. Thank you very much. Rajesh, you seem to be, you, at least your LinkedIn profile and when you and I have talked is your career has really been at IBM. And you've done a, a brilliant job at IBM. I think inside IBM you guys are refer to it as lifers. Is that the is that the term?
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so it was never planned. It just accidentally <laughs> happened. No, I mean when I started my career, I really wanted to go around work at different companies and I, I and I did in the initial five years, but then something, you know, sort of clicked when I came to IBM and I kept getting new opportunities, right? To try different things. So it almost felt like I'm Always working in different company with different people, different kinds of problems. So, never felt the same like doing the same job every day.
0: Yeah, I, I had that experience as well. It, it was, uh, I've done consulting work at a couple of different companies, but IBM had that. Y- you felt like you were a member of the enterprise when you were in the doing work for IBM and other customers. So, so what what was that history? And uh, you know, you went from a, a DBA and an architect all the way up through your distinguished engineer position now. How was that progression?
1: (laughs) Um, In fact, even before I was DBA, I started my career really as like a COBOL programmer on mainframe, right? Oh, you just dated uh, yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then I discovered database. And and I really didn't start as DBA then. then. It basically was doing turnkey projects right, building business applications like and uh, telecom and other kinds of applications but this opportunity in ibm it started off as a dba right so when i moved to us they they sort of label you because they're trying to yeah place you and so they label you because your strength is in one area so i got labeled as a dba but as I worked, you know, the, my managers, my peers. They recognized that I was doing more than DBA, right? And every time I, you know, sort of kept progressing from one project to the other. I, I'm, I was constantly exploring new things. Now, that's one of the things that some people may think of it as negative, but I, I'm always sort of uh, I feel insecure, right? Insecure in the sense that. Whenever I hear about new things, it makes me wonder, why don't I know about it, right? And I try to learn about it and try to apply it and see what projects I can go to that I can utilize that and learn more about it. And that sort of helped me through the career to get me to where I am.
0: Yeah, you and I have a lot of that in common. It's. Uh... The first time somebody says something about a new piece of technology or a new way to do things, I I get that imposter syndrome going where I'm like, oh, oh, I should know about that. Why do I not? And then I go out and I read a bunch of white papers and, and research a whole bunch of it. And I think when you came out to New Zealand to help us with the IBM Cloud project, I think you and I clicked when we had lots of discussions specifically around that particular area. That was, was it, was it 2011? no.
1: Uh, no, it was more around 13? 2015. 15, that's what
0: it was, yeah. And yeah. you when you came out, you saw right away that our project practices were really what was holding us back. And you really, I had done Agile in the past, or at least I had supported Agile programs from a network architecture perspective. But I had never been in the trenches with Agile development. and your descriptions of Agile and and how it could give us the outcomes that we wanted within the timeframes we wanted, I thought was, it it made me go out and do a massive amount of research on Agile and the Agile Manifesto and everything to do with that. I I mean, so Agile is fairly mature at this point. Where do you see it going forward?
1: The Agile as a concept is mature, right? Yes. But I see that adoption is still lacking. Every team I go to there is still a lot of pushback in the sense that people are still not comfortable. Yeah. And and just the day before yesterday, I was at a new uh, deal and working with all the folks to put together a solution, and I was hearing things like, "Hey, this," and they were thinking of three different ways of doing agile. Right? And they were saying they had there are these legacy applications and we need to apply agile light there are these app- kinds of applications and we need to do something intermediate and then there are these new applications that are microservices based that are cloud native that's where we apply agile and and so to me that makes me feel that people think agile is only for the new world yeah, right yeah but the reality is you can apply agile everywhere in fact you can apply agile even to things that are not technology-related. Yep. Like, you walk into, like, DMV is one example that comes to my mind. Every time I go to the Department of Motor Vehicles, it, it takes me 45 minutes to an hour, right? Yeah. And I see that they have these different compartments. There's one compartment that's only focused on dealing with passport issues. There are not that many people who come for passports, so a person on that counter is sitting there doing nothing most of the time. Right, And then there are these other people who are dealing with driver licenses. They are spending so much time and struggling to keep up and people are waiting. So you can actually take some of these principles and apply everywhere. And you don't have to create different kinds of agile. Agile is agile, right? Yeah. So the, the point is, I think, majority of agile is not about the technology or the process. I think that pretty much getting matured, people have, you know, definitions around it. But to me, 90% of this is about culture. It's about how do we educate people? How do we change the mindset of what Agile does for for you, right? That's where I see that we have a long way to go.
0: Yeah, I think I completely agree with you. I think in the software development community, I think at least the developers uh, understand Agile and and they actually when I talk to developers nowadays they're actually looking for Agile projects because they're much better for them. The place I see it struggle most is on the business and in particular the procurement and finance side you get people talking about bimodal and we need to transform what you're delivering as Agile into a reporting structure that is more waterfall appearing and reporting and i uh, the language, it's like they're not even willing to accept the idea of the Agile principles are enough that they somehow need something more than just the Agile principles or the Agile outcomes. They need something else that's going to tell them that people are doing what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you bring up an excellent point about procurement, right? I mean, we see that and I deal with a lot of Customer RFPs request for proposals where they want us to provide a solution. Uh, You will see the use of the word DevOps and Agile everywhere, right? Yeah. But guess what? The proposal is saying, tell me what are you going to do for the next five years. Yeah. They want to know that ahead of time. So that's waterfall, right? Whereas it's not about coming up with a shared vision and iteratively transforming their business. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how can we predict without knowing the, the your environment, your business, your applications, how can a supplier sort of give you a five-year plan of what the transformation is going to look like? Well,
0: yeah, and a lot of these, I know a lot of the transformations are now happening in the public engagement space. We we don't even know how the public is going to want to engage with a business in five years. So any plan on paper for this is what the, you know, engagement business processes or technologies, or we don't even know what the channels are going to look like in five years. So you're absolutely right, laying that out in some kind of five-year plan. Some of the language that I've started using is, is that we can have some fuzzy concepts around what it might look like in five years. Maybe they're a little bit more firm at three years. At one year, we should have kind of really good goals that we're aiming at, business outcome goals that we're aiming at, and then we should be you know, aligning much shorter, three-month and shorter release candidates for what it is that we're aiming for. So.
1: Yeah, and I think the challenge for procurement or even finance is they want some predictability, right? right. They want to right. know, okay, how much we are going to spend. And maybe the predictability could come without being specific, maybe that's you know a model that people need to explore and say the budget for this much for transformation without saying exactly what it exactly is, exactly I'm going
0: to spend. Yeah. The other lever that I see is the accountability lever. So you get a lot of executives that want agile programs to go on, but they don't have time to go and see what the agile programs are actually doing. And so they want some kind of waterfall report that says, that the agile teams are going to deliver certain capabilities at certain drop times. And I really struggle with that because I have conversations with the executives, and I'm like, you know, we do demonstrations every two weeks. Come down and look at the demonstration and make sure we're going in the right direction. And they're like, no, 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 no. Just bring me a report once every, you know, six weeks to a governance meeting, and we'll approve your next block of stuff. And it, it's, you know, that... They want to know six weeks, three months, even a year ahead of time exactly what you're going to deliver on a particular date. And then they want to hold everybody accountable to that, even though on the ground in agile development, we may be changing what we're developing every six weeks.
1: Yeah, and that tells me that maybe the metrics is also something people need to look at, right? So instead of the report which says, have you delivered these many features, or have you r- reduced these many incidents, or have you um, yeah. met these SLAs? Maybe the metrics needs to be more business outcome driven. Yes, right? yes. So if your business outcome needs to be something where, you know, let's say for marketing business unit, maybe they say, have I brought in these many uh, clicks or views, right? So maybe that becomes the measurement, which means. Am I building something that is appealing to their customer base or not? Yeah, I think I, that's
0: actually a brilliant way to look at it because then it means a change both from the development side because the developers are used to spending time writing report reports. They need to start building in features that log and track those business outcomes as part of the technology that they're implementing. And the executives need to start to understand that they're going to get business outcome reports rather than feature drop reports. I think that would be a brilliant, better way to look at it. Are are you seeing, because I'm not dealing with as many multinationals as I used to deal with when I was at the U.S., are you starting to see an inflection point where the multinationals enterprises are now going agile for most of their at least new development?
1: So what I'm seeing is that we still have the IT department, right, that sort of managing the IT and managing infrastructure, managing all the development. But they're not they're still working towards IT outcomes, and not business outcomes. And I constantly see we've heard about the shadow IT. And I constantly see that happening where it's not going away. It's in fact, increasing the the cloud is in fact, enabling the businesses to bypass the IT. Yeah. that they have better way of creating the outcome that they want. And so they are, in fact, being more agile than the central IT in many cases. Yeah, I, I would.
0: That's what I'm seeing as well. You're seeing the cross-functional teams within the business side, and they're bringing in their own people and building on cloud. And the IT teams are being relegated to the legacy uh, enterprise solutions. And I think that it does a little bit of a disservice on both sides. The IT teams aren't getting involved in the new fancy, shiny technologies. And, and a lot of the times the developers are coming in without an enterprise mindset. And so what they're implementing works for the business outcomes, but you end up with siloed solutions that don't plug in together in an enterprise on the back end side without some guidance.
1: Yeah, and, and you know maybe there is a need to decentralize IT in the sense that instead of having one central or thinking of this IT as a central team maybe uh, you need to create the cross-functional squads that align with the business and maybe they are permanently sort of attached to the business and the squad as people from the business as integral part yeah. of the development process so they're always a sort of Providing the requirements, they are always in the loop for the playbacks, like the example you were saying, the customer saying, Give me the report. No. They need to see the the you know output every two weeks. And they yep. the, the, the sooner you get the feedback, right? The better your output or the product becomes.
0: Westpac New Zealand is actually doing they've restructured their entire organization. If you haven't had a chance to look at it, I'll dig up some articles and send them over to you, but they they did an experiment where they took a very small group of business and IT professionals, and it was so wildly successful that they restructured the entire inside of Westpac New Zealand so it's all agile squads across the entire organization. And they've been wildly successful and, and been able to transform even legacy banking applications in a more rapid, agile business outcome way. It's been, at least from the outside, it appears to have been very successful. And I, and I have had a conversation with their CIO and he's been very happy and the executive team has been very happy with the results. So it is happening, It's, but I think you're right. I think we're, although the processes are mature, I think adoption is is something we're still struggling with.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I mean, Westpac. We've heard about them. We've worked with them, and and they are sort of more of an exception than the rule. Right? Yeah, I mean, they have yeah. been always in the forefront of experimenting and saying, "Give me," you know, like they were one of the early ones who were experimenting with microservice, right? And to say, "How do I change my business?" Yeah, and I think a lot of enterprises are still lagging behind that. I mean, I'm still dealing with a lot of enterprises who still want to enhance their data centers right yeah they're still not ready to take the leap and go into cloud or even go into containers or microservices
0: yeah well i even get i i sat through a an rfp uh, meeting to build the rfp requirements and there, there were 32 people in the meeting and about halfway through the meeting. I just kind of shook my head and I said, it you it sounds like you want a monolithic solution that's going to do everything for you all in one, you know, vendor-provided solution. And I don't think you're going to get the outcomes that you want out of that. And I think you're going to lock yourself in a place where you're dependent on the capabilities of the vendor rather than the business outcomes that you're trying to drive towards. And they ended up doing that. They ended up going out and looking for a monolithic solution and – It hasn't given them the outcomes that they want to get out of it. And unfortunately, they have no leverage. They have no way to – the vendor just comes back and says, well, we can't give you that capability. That's not – that doesn't exist within the application set, and we're not planning to develop that. It's not on our roadmap. And because it's a monolithic solution, the company doesn't have the opportunity to go in and and say, okay, well, we need to, you know, through a microservice bolt in this capability – to to be able to provide it or through containerization, we need to be able to move the functions to a different container solution. So
1: it's been pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of another customer where I was working a few weeks back and uh, they were talking about this monolith application, right? And their question is, where is the ROI for me to modernize, right? Because I'm not making any changes. Yeah that application. But maybe that's where the problem is, right? Maybe that's where people are not recognizing the opportunity to say, do I have duplication of data? Do I have user experience issues? Do I have unhappy customers, right? And that needs exploration to say, you know, so it shouldn't be just a cost savings driven decision to modernize. Oh, yeah.
0: I still struggle with uh, some of the organizations not doing total cost of ownership correctly. They ignore the cost of bad business processes. They ignore, you know, sunk cost of technology and they don't plan for the replacement of technology when it goes end of life as part of the cost model for the thing that they're doing. So, yeah, that, I, I really think it's, it, they don't go deep enough into what their total cost of ownership of the business outcome is for what they're doing sometimes
1: yeah and and one big piece that they miss out which is sort of the work i've been doing for the last three years on DevSecOps right where what about security what is the risk of keeping your monolithic legacy applications as is Maybe you've not been attacked. Maybe that has not happened. But the way things are evolving, what is the cost to the business if this data gets stolen? Yeah, and- or even if this data is not valuable, if this system becomes the gateway to infiltrate into your enterprise?
0: Well, yeah, exactly. I, security is one of those things. Um, I just listened to a interview with the CIO over at Comerica. And... I think you're right. The risk assessments that a lot of the businesses are doing for new technologies make the bar very high for any new development. But they don't look at the risk impact for not doing the development and leaving it on the legacy systems. And since the legacy systems didn't go through the same level of risk analysis, they're actually not doing a a valid risk analysis of leaving it on the old systems. So I I did notice that you've been doing a lot with DevSecOps and the direction, and I think security has to be, security and architecture have to be part of a good enterprise DevOps solution. And I've talked to a lot of software development houses recently and a lot of startups that are doing DevOps and they don't like the term enterprise. But when I say enterprise, I mean making decisions that support all of the various DevOps projects together, not implementing, you know, enterprise technology necessarily. Does that make sense? Um, Can you phrase it in a different way? Yeah. So it's, so the term enterprise with a lot of the startups and the smaller companies have gotten a bad, bad name, right? So, Um, When you go and talk with them about enterprise architecture, they're like, oh, we're not an enterprise. We don't don't need to make enterprise-level decisions. And I try and get them to see and understand that it's not the size of the organization that makes it an enterprise. If you only have one product, then that product is your entire enterprise. But if you have multiple products or you have multiple technology things, then making a decision like, say, we're going to build on AWS as an example. If we build on AWS, if if another business unit comes along and says, no, 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 we want to build on Azure. Well, that's not aligned to the direction the enterprise is going. There may be a reason to build on Azure, but someone needs to take a look at that more of, is this a right fit rather than, and uh, the same for security. Security can't be something that comes in afterwards and looks at the application and says, oh, is this secure now? Well, no, it should have been secured from the very beginning as part of the, the DevOps platform. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, so I think, so when people, when we talk about enterprise, you right, right, people think about enterprise architecture, but the key is to think in terms of, is it a production grade, yeah. it is an enterprise grade, where uh, what are the things that I'm compromising, right? Am I building something with, so, you know, when I was doing the DevOps, leading the DevOps practice for uh, three years, things you'll be surprised to uh, learn is people were doing passwords in clear text. Yeah. Or yeah. Pass- passwords were hard coded. They didn't have the requisite security patches or the configuration, you know, basic configuration settings, right? Like there were no specs that were being followed, right? And, and so, basically, the problem is that you're putting the whole enterprise at a risk, even though you may say, no, I'm not building an enterprise application, I'm just creating a prototype. Right. But that prototype that you're building, if that, from from day one, if is not following the secure engineering practices, and you leave that prototype up and running. In fact, we had instances, right, where people had these systems left up and running, and a ransomware came and hit those machines. Right, right, yeah. So, so when people are attacking, they don't say, I'm not going to attack this because this is a deaf system. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. So, they, 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 that becomes, again, a an entry point. And what other, you know, many people don't realize is that the attacks don't happen in a day. Many times these attackers would come, sit there maybe for a month, or they do a lot of recon, gather data gathering, and then find the optimum time to launch an it. Yep. So, so people have to really think, change that mindset. You know, similar to the DevOps, the DevSecOps is also a mindset change of what is the risk that I'm creating by following these practices.
0: Right. Yeah, I, and there are a lot of organizations here in New Zealand that are using the DevOps term and DevSecOps term, and they're not, they don't really... They think they're doing DevOps if they have developers building in some kind of agile manner. And I was literally in an organization and they said, yeah, okay, you've developed it. Now we need to write the handover documentation to hand it over to operations. And I said, you said this was a DevOps team and you had resourced up for this team to do DevOps. There, There is nobody to hand over to. The DevOps team is the one that does the operations for it. And... They were like, no, 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 no. Our, our, the way we do DevOps is we hand over to an operations team. And I was like, well, then why weren't the operations team part of the development so that they, their needs could be met as part of the DevOps development? Oh, we don't get them engaged until we're done building the application. And I was like, you you miss the opportunity to get all of the bits and pieces in place in the beginning so that operations can actually operationally support it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this goes back to this culture discussion we were having yeah. uh, earlier, right? So a lot of times, the practice is matured, but the people still don't know it. I mean, many times people just rename their teams as DevOps teams, yeah, or you change the title of the people and say DevOps engineer, right? It's not about changing the name or the title. It's really about changing the way you work, right? And, and that that requires people to change their mindset. I mean, we still have teams that are database teams and your managers, they are focused on optimizing. How do I utilize my DBAs, right? Yeah. It's not about how do I optimize the creation of the outcome.
0: Yeah. I was listening to a, a podcast out of Europe about this and this mindset of, and I noticed that at IBM, the mindset was the right mindset when I was at IBM, but this mindset of some executives that say, well, I'm paying you by the hour to sit here and, and do DBA work, so you should be doing DBA work. And if you're not sitting in, you know, doing DBA work, then I shouldn't be paying you. And the idea that a knowledge worker is being paid for the outcome, not the number of hours they sit in a seat, is somehow foreign to some business leaders. And that's a, that's a huge mind shift, shift for them.
1: Well, the other thing that is that this DevOps movement, I call it a movement because it's really changing how people see things, right, is doing is that we are not boxing people into certain skills. The whole idea is that we want people to grow and grow beyond their comfort level, right? So all these things about SRE, the site reliability engineering, is also about people with skills in different domains so they can become problem solvers right we we want people to grow beyond one field of expertise instead of being narrowly focused they need to be uh, they, they need to look wide right so if my job is to make sure that the application is up and running in production i can't rely only on my database skills i may have to have operating system skills network skills storage skills because I may have to create automation to solve any of these problems.
0: Yeah, and you may not have to be deep in all those other areas, but you you need to be an, enough to be able to have conversations with people that are deep in those other areas as, as well. I did a I remember years ago I was um, working for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Florida and the application team I was working as a network engineer. The application team called me and said, "Hey, we've got this application. It's not working." And so I wanted to be as helpful as I could. I, I went running up there. I was ready to do a packet capture and and tell them you know what I could see from the network. And I asked a simple question: Well, what's your application talking to? And they said, Well, we don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? You, what, what do you mean you don't know what your application is talking to? They said, Yeah, we used a code library. We we have no idea what it's talking to. And I went, Well, I I can't help you if you don't even know what your application is talking to. I mean, I don't if you don't even understand what your application is
1: doing, how how can I help you troubleshoot your problem? So, well, you know, I, I don't blame the people because the organizations are always trying to but, drive efficiency. That's and right. they Box them into these towers. And they, they the amount of work they have to do, they get very little time. Yes. Right? Yeah. But what this whole DevOps does is it changes that behavior. But now, if you are always working with people in different skills together, so you're not just working with DBAs. Now you are working with a network guy, with a web guy, with storage guy, and you learn and you share responsibility. I mean, that's how you grow skills.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think, I think it. So the business here, cross-functional teams, and they they think business going into it, but I think the cross-functional teams from the IT side is important as well because I I think you're right. I am the DBAs opened my eyes every time I sit down and talk with them and that there is huge value to how I mean we used to have a running joke on the network side that the network would run so much better if people would stop connecting computers to it uh, <laughs> but but the reality is the old network only exists to attach computers to it so sitting down with those people that use the network and understanding how they use it made us made it we can optimize the network better. So everything works better when you have a better understanding of the systems and, and the people and the business processes and and the outcomes that you're driving through. So those true cross-functional teams. So,
1: yeah. And, and you know, one other thing that uh, I want to emphasize many people think is that once I've created these teams, they are static. They don't have to be. In fact, as many of these can be dynamic in the sense that if you have multiple Businesses, multiple applications, multiple development going on. You, every sprint, you can evaluate and say, "What is my next sprint? What can I kind of skills do I need? Can I swap? Do I need a database administrator or database designer for this sprint or not? Yeah. If I don't, then or if I maybe this sprint is more about user experience, so bring in more people in the user experience area, yeah. and and that allows and but you know maybe. Maybe we sort of feel more comfortable if we are doing the same thing every day. Yeah, It makes us uncomfortable changing our job or working with different people every other week. And that's what sort of scares people. I I
0: think you're right. I think there is some, at least from the worker side. But, you know, going back to the culture change you and I have been talking about, I, I think a lot of the organizations, they don't have these people sitting around. And uh, some of the organizations I've been in, they say things like, yeah, it takes us six months to fill a role. Well, you can't come to them at the start of a sprint and say, okay, I need this person or I need people like this for this role and have to, you know, put the sprint on hold for six months while they go find people. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think the business outcomes, if they've used the technology drops, the feature drops, because they were good levers that they could use. They had a good way to measure them. The business outcomes has is harder to measure based on development activities. And so I think I think the DevOps teams, I think the agile development teams need to they need to spend a little bit of time and effort figuring out how they're going to tell that story. And I, I think it's storytelling. It's how do we communicate this, the business outcome story that we're developing so that we change it from yeah, we, we gave you a blue version and an Apple iPhone version and an Android version at the end of this drop to uh, we made it so that, you know, 10,000 more people could engage with us here. And we had, you know, 5,000 inputs back to us that this was a better view of how people were interacting with us. And somehow the development side needs to change their mindset to be more business outcome focused and the business side needs to be more accepting of those metrics.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I noticed that you, well, when you came out to New Zealand, I think you were already an Agile champion and you've been a DevOps evangelist for the, the past five years. What do you see, at least in a larger organization or even in a smaller organization, the role of a technology champion or evangelist?
1: It's, it's more about, again, I think culture to me is the key driver, right? So as a champion, even though you know I'm talking about technology, I'm talking about containers, I'm talking about microservice, but at the end of the day, it's all about trying to make people comfortable or look at how... So I was, again, uh, last month with some teams, and they were talking about hey, how how does that affect my idle practice, right? Right. Do I stop doing change management? Uh, And so I had to sort of explain that, you know, if you look at what is change management, it's all about managing risk. The reason why there are changes, the change controls in place, is because people are not comfortable yet that what you're going to do is going to break or not. When we bring in Agile, we are doing code drops every two weeks, or three weeks or four weeks, whatever your sprint cycle is, how do you give the business the comfort that you're not introducing a risk in the environment? And the only way that can happen is if you have consistent practice, if you have good testing, if you have security, if you have automation, the more you can you know, demonstrate to the business that every drop I'm making is less disruptive or doesn't fail, right? So educating all the teams about, you know, how do you bring about this change is what um, I see spending most of my time, right? rather than because technology, I think people um, uh, can easily learn, right? You Google and you have all these YouTube videos, you can learn about technology. But the cultural aspect is where, um, you know, I do a lot of coding to people to say, how do you, um, you can evolve your practice?
0: Yeah, so you you really do see that champion or evangelist role as, as educating them to the cultural change to adopt the new capabilities and new ways of working? Is that what you see? As well as uh, similar to a center of excellence bringing along, you know, the people that are really interested in doing it with it and giving them a platform to be able to communicate that? Is that is that how you see it? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Do you, so I know you do a lot of consulting work. When you go into these organizations, do you find it matters at what level you come in and do that champion or evangelist work? Like if, if you come, what I mean by that is if you come in too low and you don't have the mandate and authority to go in and do it, a lot of the teams come to you and say, yeah, we want to be doing it that way. But, you know, ex executive expects us to continue reporting this other way. Do you see that that as a struggle?
1: I I do, but at the same time, I feel that every individual has the ability to change that, right? So, if I take an example where, yes, we may have a team that is siloed, so we may have managers who are managing server administrators and a manager managing database administrators and a manager managing network administrators. What stops the server administrator, the database administrator, and the network guy? to get together and say, let us let three of us always work together. Instead of the way we operate, instead of creating a ticket and throwing it over the wall to you, why don't we jump on a Slack channel together and try to solve it at the same time? So I feel that maybe people sort of underestimate the changes that they can bring by taking the lead and showing it to their managers on how they change their work practice how that resulted in a better outcome Um, if you keep looking to the managers to make the change they probably are not involved in the day-to-day activities they probably don't see the problems that you are facing right I feel that people at the ground level probably have better appreciation for the challenges and better sort of uh, thought process on how to overcome right because they know that I have this problem and I'm always talking to this DBA and always talking to this network guy, so why don't I change the way I'm working with them?
0: Right. Yeah, I think think you're right. I think where I've seen it successful, and it can be successful, I think the storytelling, how they tell that story of we got a better outcome when we were able to work collaboratively together in this particular manner, I think that... Almost always will change the executive mind of yeah. This is a better way to operate. It's when the language drives in a different direction or the story drives in a different direction that you get the major pushback from an executive or a management
1: level. Yeah, and many times we see these these to be the collaboration to be transactional, which yeah. means you know for a particular problem they got together and solve it, and everyone you know gets a pat on the back, and then they go back to their usual way of working but that instead of making that as a one time if you say okay it worked it so one time why don't we keep doing it again and again and that can help create that data point for the managers to say yes uh, i'm seeing results so why don't we change that
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and then sure. and then the and then the whole organization rises with that which is if you can demonstrate that I don't know of an executive or, or a manager that would say, oh, we, we're doing things better as an organization. We should stop doing that. I've never heard that, <laughs> that come back that way. So, I mean, IBM's at the forefront of a lot of really new technologies. I mean, blockchain's been around a while, but IBM's production implementation of blockchain is probably one of the first real enterprise production business outcome ones. And what you guys have been doing with quantum computing over the last two or three years and it has been incredible. W- where do you see the next big technologies in the next five years? Is it is quantum computing and things like distributed ledgers going to be the direction for technology or is it something we're not even aware of yet?
1: See, uh, the way I see is you'll have all these technologies that, that will come constantly, right? But the key thing is That when you look at when computers first came, the whole focus was, let's automate things, right? Right. And we started seeing uh, banking was getting automated and, you know, everyday things were getting automated. Then after automation, we had this digital era where everything was getting digitized, right? Whether it's movies, audios, everything, right? And now we are talking about cognitive and then we are getting into robotics. So all these technologies will come, but if you go back and say where are we in the automation that we started 30 years back are we still automated and i would argue that we we still are way behind automation mm-hmm. right so when you're when you go to the airport why do you have to stand for 30 minutes to get through the airport right when when you go to this again the dmv example the motor vehicles why do you have to be there for 45 minutes you go to a doctor's office why do you have to still fill out all these paperwork so we have made advances but then i feel that the adoption is still lagging so there's a lot of catching up that we need to do there are still a lot of barriers to adoption yeah and how do we remove those barriers how do we make adoption simpler is where we need to do we can keep keep on creating all these technologies that are cool but until we uh, solve the adoption problem we'll always move on to the next thing without actually moving the whole society along with with us, right?
0: Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you. I, I think if I look back over the last 20 years, we've actually made, in some ways, it, we've made some advances in some places, but in some ways we've actually created more work for the business rather than, reducing the amount of work that they do to get the same outcome. Recently there have been some really good posts on process automation and I think I think process automation has been coming for a couple years now but is really starting to come into the fore and process, corrections not the right word, but maturing of processes to give better outcomes from the processes and then automation for the processes that are left behind I think is something that is has to be I think you're right it, it, it's great for us to come up with new technologies but if we can't even do something as simple as like you said utilize the DMV the right way I mean there's no reason why anybody should you you call in now to a call center if the call center's busy the technology says hey can we call you back the DMV should work the same way you should you should go into the DMV and if there's a really long wait because I don't know, there's a run on truck driver's licenses. They should say, hey, you know, we will text you when your line comes in and you can come back and go to the front of the line whenever that happens. And, and that business process should utilize the technology to get the outcomes that they're trying to get out of the business. I, th- I think I, I'm in agreement with you. I think that's going to be the biggest thing over the next five years.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I really do appreciate you doing the podcast with me. It has been brilliant talking to you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, that was a a brilliant interview with Rajesh Jaluka. I have several other podcasts currently in the pipes coming down and have reached out to a couple of people to see if I could sit down with them. And especially since the COVID-19 pandemic to talk about technology and the things that we're doing. I'm hoping to get a video interview with at least one CEO probably in the next week or two. Calling from New Zealand, everything's in video even if you're talking to your neighbor because we can't get within two meters of each other. Stay tuned, thank you all for listening. And as always, if you have any questions, queries, or corrections that you want to pass my way please don't hesitate please reach out and let me know and I will get back to you as soon as I can